this than all of this. And that's what we're talking about. We've been talking about it the last few weeks, this idea that God, God is better than what you imagine. And today we're going to talk about, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to be talking about how his plan is better for you than you could possibly imagine. Now, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. So if you want to start finding your, your way and your copy of God's Word or on an app or whatever you'd like to use to follow along, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 5. We're going to be continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the deal. The resurrection of Jesus is paramount in that he defeats the penalty of sin which is death. He defeats the penalty of sin, which is death. This is really good, good news for us. I'm not just being optimistic. You, you realize there's a difference between optimism and hope. Optimism, how many of you are married to someone that's optimistic? My wife is not raising her hand. <laughs> I like to say I'm a realist. Um, <clears throat> maybe pessimistic. Anybody... Married, dating a pessimist, I don't know. Anybody call themselves a pessimist, realist, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't matter. Whether you're optimistic or pessimistic, the deal is this. Optimism is based on the idea that you look around and you see certain data points that make you happy and you say, things are looking up. Circumstances look a little bit better. Things are looking up. Hope in things that are sure and true can be practiced in such a way that even if there is no cause for optimism, you still have hope. Even if your circumstances are bleak, you still have hope. And so Peter was writing this letter when he talks about the resurrection today. He was writing this letter to the church at Asia Minor, a bunch of Christians who found themselves in a difficult scenario in which they were suffering and being persecuted. I thought Jesus was victorious, but I'm getting persecuted for it. I thought Jesus was full of hope, yet I feel like I don't have hope. And so he wrote this letter, and this is where we want to focus today. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1. Three to five. If you're our guest, let me say uh, thank you for being here. We say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading to distinguish God's word from my own. Thank you to all of you that have joined us online. Thank you to those of you that are in our video venue today because we are at capacity in our room. I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to read this all together, whether we are here or somewhere out there. First Peter chapter 1. 3 to 5 says uh, this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You can be seated. Peter's people, the people that gathered to hear this letter, they were asking themselves this question, like, can we, in these circumstances, really trust that God has a plan for our lives that's even better than we can imagine in difficult times? Here's what we know about God. Do you know that you are very special to God? 
You are very special to God. He created you in his image. He knew what your name would be before your parents decided what your name would be. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your emotions, what makes you happy and full of joy, what makes you sad. He knows what you're anxious about, what you hope in, what you hurt about, all of it. You're very special to him. He's not like a God that, you know, just spun everything into motion and then just said, hey, go for it. Good luck. Good luck out there. But he's a God that instead plans a future for you that is better than you can imagine. And we find that here in first Peter. And this is, this is what Peter is, uh, is, is giving to his people as a way of giving them hope. And here's what we learn in, in the beginning. In, in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again with a living hope. This is his plan. So we're learning that his plan for you is better than you can imagine. But Peter starts like this, like I'm blessing God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the triune God, the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, the one true God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, two things I want you to grab. One is that God is a God of great mercy. How would Peter know that? Well, Peter knows that for many reasons, but one in particular that I think burns in his brain. Peter knows that because just before Jesus was crucified, when everybody was getting rounded up and arrested, Peter said, I don't know him. I don't have anything to do with him. I wasn't with him. He denied him. He walked away from him. Jesus gets nailed to a cross and dies. In that moment, Peter has to have the worst feeling ever because he denied his Lord. Jesus raises again from the dead. Peter, it says in the gospels when he raised from the dead that he'd said to Mary, go get the disciples and Peter. I mean, Jesus just pours out his mercy on Peter. You, you denied me, but I will not deny you. I know you, your name means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Peter. And so Peter's giving this encouragement. This is our God, he's, 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 he's a good God. He knows your name and he has uh, showered you with great mercy by causing you, catch this, causing you to be born again with a living hope. So if you know Jesus, if you sat under teaching that that is the gospel, if you've read the scriptures, that is the gospel. If someone shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you, it's because God caused it in your life. If you responded to that, you have to understand that this is his plan. His plan is better than you can imagine. And that's what we get very early on in this letter from Peter to Many who are struggling with their circumstances and wondering if if God is as good as, as they say that he is, he says he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Now, this born again thing comes from a conversation Peter witnessed Jesus have with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and Nicodemus wanted to know, like, how, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you know the law, you know everything, but you're going to have to be born all over again. Same is true for every person because we have this one big problem, sin. It manifests itself many, many different ways. We all have one big problem, sin. And the scripture says the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
So Peter says, look, this, his plan for you is better than you can imagine. You're very special to him. According to his great mercy, he caused you to be born again. This is his plan for you. Now, the second thing we learn is that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the basis of this living hope that Peter is talking about. I mean, follow the scripture again, back to verse three. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love those words, living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not an empty hope. It's not full of empty promises, but this is a living hope. How is it a living hope? Because the living hope is a person. Peter is banking on the fact that because he rose from the dead, he is a living hope. Anybody can die. Lots of people have been crucified, but Jesus rose from the dead. He he said he would. Nobody believes somebody who said they would rise again from the dead and then they get crucified and laid in a tomb. Nobody really thinks he's going to come back. And he did. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And so it's in this resurrection of Jesus that we have the basis for living hope. Now, just to recap, like, Jesus was hung on a cross, crucified for, resurrection, for insurrection, not resurrection, insurrection by Romans who were executioners. They knew what they were doing. He died. He was dead, dead. They stuck a spear in his side and water and blood came out. They pulled him off the cross. He didn't have a tomb. He hadn't purchased one. And so he's buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a Pharisee who had followed Jesus. Mary, according to Luke, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joanna were going to the tomb day by day. And they were bringing spices on the third day or the first day of the week, which is Sunday. They show up at the tomb early in the morning. They bring spices. When they get there, Mary sees that the the, the tomb, the, the stone has been rolled away. Now, she saw him crucified. She had seen him laid in the tomb. She, she knew he should be in there. So her first thoughts must have been like somebody tampered with the body. Somebody stole the body, except there's a Roman guard responsible for making sure that doesn't happen. There's a huge stone that shouldn't be rolled away. Yet it is. She turns around and she sees an individual. And she, the, the writer of John, John says that, that, that she mistook him for the gardener. You know, the guy that's just tending all the stuff around there. And, and, and this man says to her, Mary, and instantly when she hears his voice, she recognizes him. She's rabbi, master, Lord. She recognizes him as Jesus. And, and, and he says to her, hey, hey, go tell my disciples and Peter. And so they run back, Mary and Joanna and Mary, they run back and they tell the disciples. And Luke's uh, gospel, it says that, that Peter ran back to the... Uh, to the tomb. In John's gospel, it says Peter and John, because John was like, hey, I was there too. Peter and John ran back to the uh, tomb. And John goes so far as to say, and I outran Peter to the tomb. If you read that gospel, he's like, the other disciple got there first. If there were exclamation points in Hebrew, it'd be like, I win, I win, I win, exclamation point. I'm faster than Peter. I love Jesus more than Peter because I got there first. I don't know. But that's what it says. And they show up and he's not there. John stops like, okay, he's not there. Peter goes in. I got to see this for myself. Jesus is not there. Face cloth, just 
folded nicely there on the slab, out. They go back, they go back, they say, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. There's a guy named Thomas, another disciple. He's like, "Mm, I saw how messed up he was. I don't think so. Jesus shows up in this imperishable body. It's a little bit different and everybody kind of knows it. Looks a little bit different, but they know it's him. He says like, hey, Thomas, just just put put your hands in my wounds. Thomas believes. Then the scripture says there are 500 eyewitnesses between that time and the time Jesus ascends to heaven from the Mount of Olives. People see, and then then yesterday, it's so funny, um, Angela's dad is a Lebanese guy, and he is uh, hilariously Lebanese sometimes. And so we, make a long story short, our, our, our water heater leaked out in our house about six weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, I don't know, whatever. We moved out of our house two weeks ago while we're redoing all the floors in the house. Not, I wasn't optimistic. I was pessimistic at that point. Anybody ever been there? Just like, got to redo everything. We're out of here. Harvey, Arctic Blast. It's got to be most of you. So anyway, so we rent this Airbnb in Seabrook and we have the people over, our family over yesterday. It's Madeline's birthday. It's Easter, all this stuff. And so uh, we're going to grill chicken. They've done all this stuff. I go downstairs to the big Gen Air grill. It looks nice, right? So turn it on, hear the gas. That's good news. It's it's, gas works. Start to light the thing and like it... All the burners. None of the burners work because I open the thing and pull the grill, the, the grill off and they're all like rusted out. So as soon as I light it, it's like they just fall into dust. And so I'm standing there. I'm like, okay, no chicken and sausage for this family today. And, uh, but then we decided, okay, we're just going to run back to our house. It's flooded, but the grill works and we'll, I'll grill it there. So I took her dad with me and uh, we're sitting there talking and he's very analytical, and he sees the world with Lebanese Eastern eyes. And so he goes, I have a question. I was like, oh, no, a question. He says, I have a question. Why, does, why do you American pastors, none of you talk about all the people that came out of the grave after, after Jesus rose and as he ascended and all that stuff? We just sang about it. Well, I, was like, I think it's because we don't understand it. Don't get, it's mysterious, right? What am I supposed to say? Like they, they came out and then I don't know what happened after that. I don't know, like you saw your grandma from 20 years ago, then what, what after that? And did she ascend to, or, you know, there's all these theories and thoughts and all those kinds of things. And he said, you should talk about that, which is why I'm talking about it right now. Cause you obey your Lebanese father-in-law. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, why should we talk about that? And he said, because if, if, if that happened and people saw that, they would know Jesus rose, that there's something bigger than just one man coming out of the ground, that many people came out of the ground. And if they came out of the, the, the ground like that, then it's true what the Bible says, that every, everybody will, that in Christ, will, will be resurrected. I was like, you're right. Do you want to preach tomorrow? Because I got to grill this chicken. Um, but he was right. Like, why, why would we ever do that? And then see, that's the thing is that his plan for us is better than we can imagine. And, and, and when we see the resurrection of Jesus as the, from the dead as the basis for our living hope beyond our circumstances, we learn two things really clearly from the scripture 
about this plan that he has for us. First is that this, when the moment we believe, we get new spiritual life. That's for right now. The moment we believe. The Bible says, in Colossians chapter 3, 1, everything changes. And it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, like you've been born again, re- resurrected with him, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we, all of a sudden we have this new pursuit. We have this new purpose. We're not, we're not seeking the things that are below. Now we're seeking the things that are above. We're about the things of the kingdom because we've been raised in a, a new way. We, we have a new spiritual life. Romans chapter six, verse four, we were buried with him, therefore in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. So because Jesus was raised from the dead, now we've been made new as we believe and trust and have faith in him. We've been made new from the inside out and we can walk in a new way. That means I can hear God and obey God before I was just a rebel. Before, I just wanted to do things my own way. I kind of wanted to be my own God. And that's the big problem with sin is that we try to be our own gods, do things our, our way. And God's given us a, like a really clear way to live. He designed us. It's the best way that we can possibly live. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you have to believe this in order to be saved, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So when we believe that, we come to him and we say, I know you died on a cross to save me from my sin. I could not save myself from my own sin. I'm gonna have to trust that you can rescue me just like you said you could. And, and your, your resurrection proves it. I believe in your resurrection, that you defeated the penalty of sin and death. And because I believe that I am saved and I'm born again and I'm made new, we get new spiritual life now. But here's the second thing that we get that's part of God's plan based on the resurrections. We get new resurrection bodies. Now, this may seem astounding to you, But the scripture teaches that in Christ, we will be raised with the same kind of imperishable bodies that Jesus had post-resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15 to, uh, 52 to 53, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So for those that are in Christ, there's a time coming when we will be raised and given this new body that is now imperishable. <laughs> that sounds unbelievable. And the reason that it sounds unbelievable is because God's plan for your life is better than you can imagine. His mercy is better than you can imagine. So here's the third thing, and, and, and I would leave you with this. In verses four and five of First Peter, it teaches us that in Christ, our future is exciting and sure. I don't have better words to use than exciting and sure, or I, I would because it's better than, than you can imagine. If you follow the scripture here, here's what Peter says, that you've been born again to a living hope, bigger than your circumstances, beyond your circumstances, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you were condemned in your sin. 
But if you've believed, now you've moved from being condemned to being made new into a child of God. He, he wants to be with you. He says, call me father. He, he changes everything. Romans 8, 12 to 18 teaches us that placing our trust in Christ for salvation and forgiveness changes us. We're born into a new family. We're, we're, we're called part of the household of God. He's the father. According to, to John, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for every one of you that believes on Jesus. And it's a household. We'll all be together in a, in, a, in a place where there is no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. It's a, it's a new family. You've been given a new power, according to this passage of Scripture in Romans. And Peter says that you get a new inheritance. You know what an inheritance is, right? Like mom or dad passes away. They, they may, maybe they have some nest egg saved up or a house or something. They pass it on to you. You invest it or you pass it down to the next generation. That's how we think when we think inheritance. But that kind of inheritance doesn't last. It's passed down as long as it's still there. As long as it's not sold as an asset or all the money is spent or something like that. It just, it doesn't last. Even if I receive an inheritance from my father, one day I too am going to die and not have that inheritance anymore. You see, it doesn't last. But according to Peter, in Christ, our future is, ex- and it, it, our future is exciting and sure. So here's what we, we learn. If you go back to... Verse four, it says that you've been raised to an inheritance that is these things, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable is a word reserved for only things that are eternal in scripture. So it's used of God. It's used of God's word. It's used for our resurrection bodies. And it's used for this inheritance that we're talking about right here. It is one that never goes away. It's undefiled, according to Peter, which means it's not marred by sin. Nobody's going to fight over this inheritance. There's not going to be any uh, misuse of the inheritance. It's undefiled. Third, it's unfading, meaning it doesn't deteriorate with time. It's unfading. Four, it's kept in heaven. It's not kept in a bank. It's kept in heaven, a a real place where there is an inheritance waiting for you as a member of the household of God in Christ because of his death and his resurrection. Now, this is in my Bible. I, I sort of grabbed this in parentheses. It says it's kept in heaven for you. Remember, I said you're very special to God. You're very special to God. It's kept in heaven for you. It's a you plural. It's for all who would believe. All, everyone who would call in the name of the Lord, Jesus. It's kept in heaven for you. And by the way, Peter says, uh, you who are being guarded by God's power for a future tense salvation. He's just saying, uh, there's a time coming. You're saved now, but there's a time coming. You're going to realize all this in sort of a glorified way. You're going to be in the presence of God. You're going to be uh, physically in the presence of God in in a place that that the Bible calls New Jerusalem. No more tears, crying, pain, no more death anymore. Everything is all restored. This is your future. And you think to yourself, could it it really be that? I can hardly 
can hardly imagine that. Well, the writer Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond, the disciples could not imagine Jesus coming out of the grave. And yet, he did. They saw him. They documented it. They gave their lives for it. What changes Peter from being a denier to being a martyr for the faith? The power of the Holy Spirit inside of him and the simple fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus gives us living hope. Doesn't matter if your water heater leaks out. Doesn't matter if the economy goes bad. Doesn't matter if cancer, disease, trauma, wounds, all the pain, all the hurt, all that stuff, isolation, depression, anxiety that everybody deals with. It's all real and true. But above it is a living hope that we cling to as a giant handhold when life is going nutty. And we're no longer optimistic. We can still hope. And what is a living hope? Jesus. So here's the deal. We all have this like choice to make. Do we believe it or not? That's as simple as it gets. Do we believe it or not? This is the kind of belief that changes who you are, how you walk, how you live truly want to obey God because you love him when you, when you believe this. And so you have to ask yourself the question, like, do I believe it or not? His plan for you is, is better than you can imagine. The resurrection proves it. You're very special to God. You're very special to God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and simply ask the Lord to speak to you? Lord Jesus, we have gathered here to celebrate your resurrection. We're so thankful. Personally, God, I am so thankful that you've taken away shame and guilt and brokenness and replace it with living hope, grace, mercy. Thanks for pouring that out on me. Thank you that I can hope in you on the really bad days. Or long periods of suffering, thank you that we can hope in in you. Thank you that we can hope in you because you're alive, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, according to the scripture, that just as you rose from the grave, you're, you're coming back again, according to the scriptures. And so we long for that. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Some of you here that have listened to this teaching, maybe you need to, maybe you need to believe for the first time. And all that looks like is saying, I, I am a sinner, I get it. I can't rescue myself. 
And it's placing your trust in Jesus who died on a cross to save you from your sin and rose again, defeating sin entirely. It's believing. So you just simply, you pray. You can pray now. You can pray during the next song. You can pray at home tonight. You pray. And it does, it's not the eloquence of your words. It's the intent of your heart. And you say, Jesus, forgive me. You're the only one who can save my soul. Make me new. I want to be born again, born all over again. I want a new life spiritually right now. And scripture says, when you trust Christ that way, instantly he saves you. He fills you with his Holy Spirit so that he's inside of you. He begins to teach you through his word and by his spirit how to follow him. And then you're an heir. You're one of God's kids, his son or his daughter. You're not uh, condemned any longer, but you're a child of promise. And there's an inheritance being kept for you instantly. He didn't do anything to get it. He gave it to you because he loves you because you're very special to him. Jesus, we love you. We praise your holy name. I pray that you would fill these people, everybody who hears these words, God, fill them with your joy, fill them with your peace, bring them to the knowledge of the truth, allow them to believe and walk with you. Save souls, change lives, make us new. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.